was um, reminded as I was worshipping, I, I had a smile to myself. The last time I preached, someone came up to me afterwards and, and he said, one of the encouragers of church, and he said, Jamie, you were incredible today. And I said, well, I, I, was, I hope I was credible. And he said, let me rephrase that. He said, you were unbelievable. <laughs> I hope that I am both credible and believable um, this morning. Um, over the summer, um, we are exploring the, this idea of unexpected heroes in the Bible. People who achieve something despite the odds. And today, we're going to be looking at the story of, of David and Goliath, the archetypal, if you go with me, the archetypal against all odds story. That There's no story like this in the whole of history. One that is told by from generation to generation. A young shepherd boy, if we to, uh, to believe the, the somewhat of a myth, um, taking on a giant in a battle, he had no real chance of winning. I say a myth because actually David was around 2021 when he took on the fierce Goliath. The story is, is so famous that it's become part of everyday language, a shorthand, a vocabulary for wider society. Let me take you back, for example, four years ago to around this time of year, a time where bookies were offering these odds. You could put a pound down and get a thousand pounds back if the Queen recorded the British number one single at Christmas. That's not Queen, that's a the Queen. 2,000 to one was being offered for Elvis to have been found alive. And 5,000 to one for Leicester winning the Premier League. Of course, Leicester went on and won the Premier League. A thousand pound bet would have returned you five million pounds. Would have bought us a few watches, wouldn't it? Um, towards the end of the season, Leicester, Leicester were described by various media as the giant slayers. Where does that language come from? It was arguably the greatest ever sporting achievement. I wonder what odds would have been offered by the bookies of the day as they looked at David and they looked at Goliath. We read the story in, in 1 Samuel 17. As we'll hear, for everyone looking on, David was the complete and utter underdog. The Leicester, if you like, in the Premier League title of four years ago. Coming against the likes of Man City. And I think that perception is the perception that most of us use to understand the lens, to understand the story. 
But David is the underdog. So we're going to read it in 1 Samuel 17. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn there with me. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes the Mede between Soko and Azekiah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. The shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not of the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day... I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Iliad, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance for me. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out in its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him. 
What will be done to the man who kills the Philistine and removes the Ishmaelite from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done to the man who kills him. When Eliab, David, Baal's brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David. I tell you, I say that often in our household. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in with you, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off and he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them on the pouch of his shepherd bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. He despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sword and a stone. The story is played out in the heart of the old Palestine territory, in an area known as Shepilah, an area of, of mountains and valleys leading up from the Mediterranean coast. And it led to really important cities like 
Jerusalem and Bethlehem. It was an important area because if you won this valley and this mountains, you could come from the Mediterranean and get the cities. And so this was prized territory. And that was exactly the Philistines' plan. The Philistines were were seafaring folk. They came from Crete and settled, settled along the coast in this Palestine territory. The Israelites, meanwhile, were camped on mountains. The Philistines wanted to capture the the mountain ridge near Bethlehem. And in doing so, they knew that they could cut Saul's kingdom in two. And so we join this standoff between these two armies. One One on one mountain, one on the other, the valley between them. Neither side wanted to approach the other. And that was they knew, because they knew that if they went into the valley, they would become sitting targets. They'd face heavy losses. And so we have this standoff. Enter Goliath, a prized soldier, a giant. At least six foot, nine inches tall. Wearing a a bronze helmet, full body armor, a sword, a a spear, a, a javelin. A shield bearer went ahead of him. Day after day, for 40 days, Goliath shouts to the Israelites, Choose your man and and let him come down to me. If he prevails in the fight against me, then we'll become your slaves. But if I win, you'll become our slaves. Give me a man and we will fight each other. Goliath was offering what was common in those days, something that was known as a a single battle. Rather than than risk heavy bloodshed on, on both sides, a duel was offered between two fighters, one from each, and the winner would take all. The Israelites were terrified. We read how the Israelites' army, like the the army, not just like the normal Israelites, the army, the guys that were prepared for battle, whenever Goliath came out and shouted, they fled in fear. They didn't have a fighter as big as Goliath. Who could take this man on? Who would possibly win this fight. Fear had absolutely and utterly paralyzed them. None 
wanted to be the one that was chosen by Saul to face Goliath. Enter David, the 20 or so year old young man. Heading to the front line with sandwiches for his brothers. Cheese sandwiches. His brothers tell him to go away. But David offers his services to the king. Telling Saul he's fought more ferocious beasts than this. Lions and bears. Like everyone looking on. Like his brothers, like the army, like Saul, like all of the Philistines, I'm sure. Goliath sees David as the complete and utter underdog. Goliath is, is seemingly offended that the Israelites would send this young man. Like, look at him, he's weenie, he's, he's, you know, he looks nice maybe, but how can they possibly think this young man could take me on, Goliath? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks, he cursed? Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. But this is where, if we actually understand the story, Goliath got it all wrong. You see, Goliath saw David as the underdog. And sure enough, if David had gone up to Goliath and fight it, fought him in the normal way, David would indeed have been the underdog. There was no way in a traditional battle, the way that Goliath was expecting the battle to be fought, that David had a chance of winning. Goliath expected David to come up close. He expected him with spear and javelin, with sword. But David didn't plan ever to get up close. That wasn't the way he was going to fight. He kept his distance. He picked up the stones. And like he'd done countless times before, with huge precision, he is able to hit Goliath with a stone on his head. And instantly kill him. In the fight David had been planning, there was only ever going to be one victor. Goliath didn't actually stand a chance. The real battle, however, was arguably David getting to the front line. David actually taking on this fighter, everything wanted to stop him doing that. I'm sure, one way or another, we've all got Goliath in our lives. Perhaps in our relationships, 
perhaps in our work, perhaps in seeing the things that we believe God has spoken to us about coming to pass, things that seem like giants, things that seem beyond anything that we can take on. But maybe the thing for us is we simply get to get the front line. That God has actually uniquely equipped us for the fight. We've got to make it to the front line. And how do we do that? What can we learn from the story of David in our own lives? First, to get to the front line, we need to overcome how others perceive us. Time and time again, David has to overcome how others perceive him. You remember when the prophet Samuel arrives at, at David's home. Samuel is sent by God to anoint a new king. It takes several years, many years before David actually becomes king. But, but he's sent out, Samuel is sent out to find the new king. And, and his, his David's dad gathers all the brothers together and says, maybe one of these, or must be one of these that is chosen to be the king. And he forgets about David out in the field. perceptions of others that didn't see him as God saw him. As he makes his way to the front line, the same story. His eldest brother accuses him of being conceited, that his, his heart is, is wicked. It would seem for the first time, not for the first time, sorry, now, what have I done now, this time? You know, you're always getting at me. We later know David was a man after God's own heart. Like this wasn't a conceited boy, lad, and yet his brother saw him differently. When he speaks to Saul, meanwhile, Saul says, you're not able to go out against him. You're only young. He's a much more experienced fighter. We're going to win that God has given us to, to fight. We're going to have to fight some of the things that other people say about us and some of the way that other people perceive us. I've said before that, that in my school report, I found it again recently when we we're doing clear out at home that, that I had written one of many similar comments that Jamie will never achieve anything in his life. I had a former boss that told me that I was a terrible communicator. I spent about three years where I refused to speak publicly as a result. Now there's a trusted wisdom in having friends around us who speak to us about what we're maybe good at and what we're not so great at. I may want to be a Picasso, but the reality is I'm not very good with a paintbrush on a wall, let alone on a canvas. be beyond that, if we're to win the battles against our Goliaths, we need to come overcome how other people perceive us. For God purposely chooses to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. He chooses the foolish. He chooses 
those by the world's standards who seem hopeless. areas in your life where you've allowed what people have said about you or to you to stop you fighting the battles that God has asked you to take up? Have you allowed careless words, even from people within your own family or maybe even the church, to hold you back? Second, I think to get to the front line, we've got to learn to become servants. David was first and foremost a servant. When Samuel arrives in his community, David is in the field looking after the flock. There he learns his skills with the sling. As David gets to the front line, he does so as a servant, taking the sandwiches to his brother. We feel called to lead a ministry, serving tens of thousands. Have we been obedient in serving the one or two? If we want to become a teacher, have we signed up to go and help in the children's work on a Sunday? If we're believing for a promotion at work, have we taken on weight? For our manager? Have we simply found a place to serve with no ulterior motives? Lucy and I, when we first got married, were, were asked for, to, to help with a youth work at our, our old church. And, and we just felt so ill-equipped to do it, but we, we offered to do it. We, we said, okay, we'll do it. We'll just serve. And we went and served on someone else. And that person ultimately had to resign because of a moral failing. And we were suddenly left with a, a youth group to, to run. We successfully managed to build a group of 50 people to about 15 people. And then we kept going. And we kept serving. And we kept going. And we prayed and we were faithful, I think, in that thing that we were asked to do. And when we left, there were around 200 young people on our books. Many of them coming every single week. To, to serve and worship God. We had a ministry that was going in, into schools. And I'm not saying that we're, we're like, you know, brilliant, but what I'm saying is that you've got to serve. Because that's what David did if we are to slay our giants. Third, if we're going to slay our Goliaths, we've got to learn to be ourselves. David won the battle because he used his skills that God had given him. The skills that he honed in the fields, killing the lions, killing the bears, looking after the sheep. As he made his way to the front line, Saul tried to put his armor on. He actually put the armor on, right? He tried to be something else. He said, this is not me. It's so easy to put on other people's clothes, to compare ourselves to others, to try and be someone that we're not. There are some 7,723,424,246 people in the world at the moment, and each of them is unique. None of us are exactly the same. God has created you as you are. It is so easy, particularly in the world of social media, to compare ourselves to others, to see how we, we look. 
it's great. Well, can I say as much of wise stuff as that? Is my home like this? Are the things that I wear, am I, have I got as many followers or whatever else? If David had worn Saul's stuff to go and fight Goliath, he would have lost. He had to have confidence in who God had made him. Are there better communicators than me? Undoubtedly. Better leaders, millions of them. Are there people that are more strategic than I am? Yes, definitely. But am I called to be those things? Yes, I am. Not better than other people. I'm called to be the best that I can be at those things. And so are you. The best you that you can be. To win the fight against Goliath, David had to be himself. Fourth, if we want to slay our Goliaths, we've got to trust in God. The fact is that Goliath was intimidating. David would have seen the giant in front of him. He would have seen the size of this monster. I've got no doubt he would have been in trepidation at one level. But he was also confident in his ability with his sling. And he knew that he worshipped a God that was able to bring before him or do it again. He'd proven himself in the past. You come against me with sword, spear and javelin, said David, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. He is almighty. Whatever Goliath you're, face, you're facing in your life, God is almighty. God is almighty. He's done it once before. He'll do it once again. And finally, I think if we are to win our battles against Goliath, you know, it's interesting that this was the first battle that David did, and there were many more that he went on to do. But when he responded to this particular win, David stayed humble. we're going to win our battles, if we're going to be given ever greater battles to fight, then the key is to stay humble. After being anointed the future king, David was found either in the fields or in the palace playing an instrument. After he slayed Goliath, the women sang in the streets that Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. David goes on to do whatever mission Saul asks him to do, and he succeeds in that. While Saul gets more and more jealous of David, David remains humble. He remains servant. He knew that God had called him. He knew that God had equipped him. He knew that God had helped him, and it was for his glory. He knew that success ultimately came from the Almighty Father. So what are the Goliaths that you face? What stops you from getting to the front line? Where do you need to rise above the, the noise of what other people have said to you that runs contrary to what God has said about you? Where do you need to simply serve? time to stop comparing yourself to others and simply be the very best version of you that you can be.
perfect time to put your trust in, in God and you. Remind yourself of what he's done in the past and what he will deliver in the future. Is it time to humble yourself? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that it's in the battles that you make us the people that you've created us to be. So often in the furnace that you, you form us. Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by the battles. But that we would see that we're uniquely placed to take them on. Lord, I pray that you would give us a confidence in who we are and who we are more importantly in you.